This is the work of the Holy Spirit to, to say that not only has Jesus died, but he's died for you. It's not only that he's risen, but he's risen for you. He doesn't, he isn't ascended into, the, into heaven just in some sort of abstraction, but he's ascended into heaven for you to intercede for you. Pastor Brian Wolfmiller talking about his presentation at the 2017 Fall Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference. And that, that work of the Holy Spirit to press the events of the gospel, of the work of God, into our own hearts and into our own ears and into our own conscience comes through fantastically with those words for you. You can meet and hear Pastor Brian Wolfmiller making the case for the for you of Christianity at our fall Making the Case Conference, Friday, November 10th and Saturday, November 11th in Houston, Texas. You'll find a list of speakers, topics, and registration information at issuesetc.org. The Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference, November 10th and 11th in Houston. Back when I was a child Before life removed all the innocence My father would lift me high Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. We're going to continue a series we've been doing with Pastor Jonathan Fisk on raising Christian children in an age of secular progressivism. Now, you think about raising children, and you think about the diapers, and you think about preschool, and you think about all of the things that lead up to maybe the graduation from high school, college expenses. You don't often think beyond that to Christian parenting when your children are grown and parents of their own. But we're going to continue that conversation with Pastor Fisk on that very subject, the boundaries and the changing boundaries as your children get older and have children of their own. Pastor Jonathan Fisk is host of a radio show called Sharper Iron and author of the book, Broken Seven Christian Rules That Every Christian Ought to Break As Often As Possible. Jonathan, welcome back to Issues Etc. It's a pleasure. This is a, um, a email, I believe, that you received pertaining to something we talked about earlier in this series. I'd like you to begin by responding to it. This is uh, from a listener says, I'm behind on my issues, etc. podcast. So I just listened to Pastor, Pastor Fisk on Parental Authority, a July broadcast. I'd like to comment that babies slash toddlers, while sinners cannot manipulate you, they have not developed the higher thought processes for that. Also, mothers are designed by God to respond to a crying baby. True, we in the Western world with our larger houses can decide when to respond, but I'm glad God designed us that way. What's your reaction, your response there? Yeah, well, I want to say first, I'm also glad that God designed mothers, women, ladies, particularly, to care for their children in a unique way, that this is a tremendous gift to creation. And when God gives Adam woman and says, behold, here she is, I think this is all built into his joy in that moment, that she is uniquely tailored to have a, a different, a, a unique response to the needs of the child, different than the father's. So I would, I would guess that this was from a conversation we were having in which I was talking about boundaries with a, with a child and how you even establish those as an infant and at some point have to decide whether or not to go to the crying child and comfort or give them a few minutes to try to try to work it out on their own. And I, I can tell you from experience, when we decided to, to do this pretty early in the in the childbearing process, we didn't wait long before trying to establish like at least a five minute window. Like you can, you can cry for five minutes before we have to pick you up. I can guarantee you that as we're both sitting there, my wife was having a harder time letting those five minutes go by than I was because uh, 
she is designed by God to want to fix that more more than I do. And similarly, as, as the kids have gotten older, there's no question that she has more sympathy for my children. Say when my son comes in with his, his scraped knee because he fell out of a tree with a stick in his hand, like what goes through his chin or whatever. My wife is going to say, you poor thing in her heart, and she's going to want to help him. And I'm going to be like, you doofus, what are you doing? I told you not to climb in trees with sticks, right? I want him to learn the lesson one way. She wants him to learn the lesson another way. Both of these things are good. Neither of these things are bad. I think the question, however, maybe is is misunderstanding a little bit about what I was getting at with an infant being able to manipulate you. Because I, I would respectfully disagree that you do not need to have a higher thought process to manipulate someone. Dog training can show you that a dog can manipulate you simply by misbehaving. It, 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 the Pavlovian effect of cause and effect, repeat and repeat, allows a dog to, quote-unquote, learn without having the high high thought process that it would take to, say, outwit you, right, in the, in the way that we would think about it. And so similarly, an infant very much has the ability to discern patterns. That's what they're doing at, like, a hyper level. That's how they learn to speak and, and before they can speak, to hear and recognize, say, a parent's voice as opposed to somebody else's voice or their smell as opposed to somebody else's smell. All of this is happening at a, an extreme level as the mind, the brain takes its form and, and, and grows and, and learns and lays down those pathways of understanding. And in that then, boundaries are things that are, they're happening for the in the first place to that infant's brain. Everything's a boundary. Is that mother's face? Is that not mother's face? That's a boundary. That's a limitation. It's a difference between light and darkness or right and wrong or one and two. Even at the various, the, the lowest level, right? Be below thinking, right? So there's, that's going on and you're, you're forming this in how you treat the child. I mean, if you, if you scream at the child over and over and over again, the child is going to be impacted by that and have a, a result as a result of that. Or think of a, there was an experiment I saw once of two monkeys that were in a, a a cage. They were being kind of in a test, a psychological test. And one of them was given all the food that it needed, and but it was all given from like a doll, like a, a hard-shaped metal doll that would hold out that food. And then the other one, didn't get all the food that it needed, but was given what little it did get from a, a human who would come in and cuddle with the monkey. And the monkey did much better than the one who was just given the food because of the, the pattern, the boundary that was created between the two beings at that point. So it's important to recognize, one, that this is happening with your infant no matter what. You are forming patterns with your infant. Two, your infant is inherently selfish. Right? It, your infant is a sinner among sinners, we all have the same problem, and your infant really cares mostly about pleasure and food, and really food is for the sake of pleasure. And then third, you're also a sinner, which means you're going to have a tendency, particularly as a mother, particularly as a mother, you're going to have a tendency to want your infant's pleasure to override your infant's pain for the sake of your own pleasure, because letting your infant hurt is going to make you hurt. And so you're going to be a little less willing to, to let the child have the hard lesson. And anyone who's got kids knows, I mean, it's hard to let them learn a hard lesson. <laughs> you, don't, you don't want to. You want to protect them from that as much as you can. So so in this then, this is what I'm getting at with whether or not you decide to, to try to help your child sleep through the night after a couple of months or whether you want to wait till three years. I mean, that's up to you. We chose a couple of months and it worked out okay. And most of our kids aren't, aren't too messed up for it. You know, the point is still, I think, very valid that the boundaries are patterns that we set with each other and the, the role of the parent is to choose where to set those boundaries. As Christians, we have freedom 
to use our understanding of law and gospel to do that. We have freedom to, to use our understanding of sin and grace to do that. And, and we should. We should embrace both the truths that we know to be permanent and the freedom to apply it in the present context and the present situation. So, I didn't want to say you're wrong if you ever go, you know, get your child when they're crying at night. And I certainly don't want to bash mothers who feel that longing to, to comfort the, the hurting child. I mean, thank goodness for mothers. But, but I also, I got to disagree. The infant absolutely can learn to manipulate you. And if you, and if you let them, this is kind of the thing. If you set a, a pattern for manipulation that's Pavlovian, it's not thought through. It's just cause and effect. It's response and act. If you set that pattern at age two, you know, you walk down the, the aisle and the kid cries until you buy them something, so you buy it for it finally. Well, when they're 16 and they are thinking, I'll tell you, it's going to be a lot harder to say no then than it was when they were two and you could just keep walking and they'd have to follow you because they're, they're kind of addicted to your presence at that point. So hopefully that's a, that's a, that's a roundabout answer. It puts a little more meat on, on the conversation from before. And I, I you know, I, I, I'm, go get your child when they're crying. There, there's nothing wrong with doing that. Just, just also learn or, or think about when they might need to learn to cry a little to get, get what they're, they're getting out of it. Let's talk a bit about the challenge of boundaries when it comes to when you've gone from being a parent to a grandparent. Now your children are having children of their own. And you wanted to discuss respecting your kids' wishes on how you actually are a grandparent. What do you mean by that? Well, I think when your kids have kids, this opens two very different sets of boundaries that can strike you off, off off from the side. It's like a side shot and you're not really ready for it. And I can only really speak from experience on this as my family has has worked its way through this. You know, each little unit is sort of its own culture with its own way of doing things. Your kids are going to want to raise their kids probably at least in like 1% differently from the way you did. It's just kind of the, the way it's going to happen. But that can be a bit of a challenge on several levels. So let's say that as parents, you you make a decision that your kids can't have bananas because they're evil and from the devil, right? Now, I don't think bananas are evil and from the devil, but I'm trying to use something that no one can really be upset about as the example. So you decide that your kids can't have a banana, bananas because they're, they're from the devil. It's what do you believe. And grandma and grandpa, like they raised you on bananas. Like that's all you got all the time, which is maybe why you got a thing against bananas. I don't know. But, but so now you're going for Christmas dinner at grandma's house, right? And grandma pulls out a plate of bananas and sets them down. And now you have a moment with three generations involved where you, as the person in the middle at least, not grandparent, not child, are caught in the middle of the fourth commandment. One is that you are supposed to protect your child, and you think bananas are from the devil, so you're, you, you don't want to give them a banana. And two, you're supposed to honor your, your father and your mother. And you can even recognize that while you think bananas are from the devil, most of society doesn't. And so you understand that they're, they're, they're not really trying to be wrong. In fact, what grandma wants to do is, is give the, the blessing of bananas and their taste and their wonderfulness to, to the child. So what really needs to happen at this point is there has to be a very, probably initially awkward conversation between grandparent and parent about what are these new boundaries that we have, me being your child, but me having to raise this other child and, and, and not you. Because there can be situations not involving bananas where this really impacts day-to-day life. You know, just throw, just throw candy in there or, or something else, right? It's something that you're trying hard to establish as a boundary that grandma and grandpa don't particularly care about. Well, now this undermines you a little bit. Uh, on, on the other side then, you have the situation where, uh, now I'm going to lose my brain here a little bit, you have the situation flows in the other direction as well, where as a grandparent then, 
you will have things that you will expect of your uh, your grandchild that may not be expected by the parent, right? So so let's say you have a grandchild that is uh, not told no very often, right? There's no boundaries been set, and so this this grandchild likes to scream until he or she gets the toy, right? But you you you're not going to deal with that in your house. You don't want someone screaming at you all day. You don't think it's good for the child anyway to, to never be told no. And so now you, you're babysitting the child for eight hours because you know, mom and dad are going on a date. That's great. Okay. You have to now set boundaries that are different than the parents' boundaries. You know, at grandma's house, we do it this way. Well, now what happens when the child that is raising the child, your child, <laughs> uh, doesn't like that you did that, <laughs> right? And you again have a conflict of boundaries. The reason I bring this up is not because I've had this really extreme struggle with my own family. In fact, we've been pretty pretty civil about all of it. It's worked out really well, I think, so far. But because this is like something where if we don't see that this is here, it can really nip us in the bud or create a bunch of unspoken, awkward moments within families as we kind of just have to put up with each other, trampling each other's boundaries, which ultimately d- destroys trust in our midst and it doesn't put the good of the child first because the child wants to have structure. The child wants to have some sort of clear, certain form. That's why they, where they thrive in that. And they definitely want to see their parents in harmony. I mean, we, you could take this into the level of a, a mother and a father. When, when they are in disagreement about what the boundaries are in front of the children, that creates a struggle for the child. That is exported to an issue in which you have kind of multiple layers of family. One way to deal with that is to talk with the child about that, right? Now, we know, son, that you know that we don't eat bananas because they're from the devil, except when we go to grandma's house, then you can have a banana because we want to make grandma happy because we love her, right? Now you've now you've explained the difference. The child can actually learn to reason with that difference. And to, I, I've been really impressed how, how capable they are of recognizing the shift in culture that takes place between my house and grandma's house or Aunt Laura's house. We got my sister Laura, whatever. There's, there's little different rules of social civilization that by talking about that, the child can be aware of that and, and behave appropriately. But at the same time, if, if you don't face this, I, I can just see it going so wrong so fast. And, and you know, with mar- marriages, with different uh, cultures from the, both grandparents groups and all this kind of thing, it creates a struggle, which the reason we're talking about this on issues, et cetera, is because this struggle is about how do I keep the fourth commandment? It's about taking this theology that we believe is so good and then seeing it in a black and white world in which not everything's so good. And how do I make the decision? Do I, do I obey my mom now, my dad now, or do I, do I do the good thing for my child now? And the give and take of that reality, I think what we want to thrust on the Christian is both it's good to want to apply the commandment that's good. And then also that you are under grace as you do this. This this is about grace in the first place, right? Honoring your father and your mother is about the grace of God in Jesus Christ. Honoring your child is about, or respecting, and not respecting, excuse me, uh, bringing up your child in the way you should go is about pointing them to the grace of God in Jesus Christ. So it's not like this is without a theological import, but it is messy, right? The, I, I, please don't be listening to this hearing me say, well, you better do it this way with your child. I'm saying there are boundary situations that exist between grandparents and their grandchildren and the parents are in the middle, stuck in a theological conundrum. And the best way through that is honest, gracious conversation with all parties involved, respecting the commandments. And of course, if possible, relying on the same grace for, for the overlooking and the forgiveness of where we, where we trip up. Pastor Jonathan Fisk is our guest. It's part eight of our series on raising Christian children in an age of secular progressivism. We're talking about the boundaries and the changing ages of our children. As our children have children, when we come back, we're going to talk about setting your own unique boundaries with your grandchildren. Not your children this time, but your grandchildren. 
I'm Todd Wilkin. This is Issues Etc. operate fully in the public square, and that includes by engaging with the media. Molly Hemingway talking about her joint presentation at the 2017 Fall Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference. And one of the things that they can do is encourage reporters to report things accurately and truthfully. They can express their opinions in letters to the editor and op-eds. And one of the things that's important is to just let people in the world know of the differences of opinion that are out there, that Christians don't share a lot of the secular thinking that is promulgated by the media. And so being bold and being able to stand up and simply speak truth in the public square, it's a powerful witness to others, and it's a service you can perform for your community and the country at large. You can meet and hear Molly and Mark Hemingway making the case for Christians engaging the news media at our Fall Making the Case Conference November 10th and 11th in Houston, Texas. Learn more at issuesetc.org. When pastors talk about us, they call us ad crucem. When laity mention us, they speak of ad crucem. When non-Lutherans address us, they say ADC Rucam. But no matter how you say it, ad crucem is the place to go for greeting cards, artwork, jewelry, ornaments, housewares, church certificates, church banners, and all your gift buying needs. Visit adcrucem.com, confessing the faith through art and word. ADC, dot com. 500 years ago, Martin Luther published 95 Theses and changed the world as we know it. Learn more about the Reformation Luther sparked and how and why Lutherans are celebrating its 500th anniversary when you read the October issue of The Lutheran Witness. Visit cph.org witness to subscribe to print and digital editions of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod's flagship magazine. The Lutheran Witness, interpreting the contemporary world from a Lutheran perspective. cph.org witness. More topics, more guests, more Jesus. You're listening to Issues Etc. LCMS Disaster Response provides guidance and assistance to congregations who seek to proclaim the gospel and show mercy in the wake of disasters. We can bring capacity to your congregation through on-site assessment, volunteer training and congregation preparedness, and through grants direct to your congregation. For more information, follow us on Facebook, keyword LCMS Disaster Response, or visit our website at lcms.org disaster. That's lcms.org disaster. This is Pastor Clint Poppy, Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska, a proud supporter of Issues Etc. Each month we host the Nebraska Lutherans for Confessional Study, a serious study of Lutheran theology. We generally meet on the fourth Thursday of each month from 9.30 to 2.30, and both clergy and laity are invited. There is no charge to attend. For more information, please call the church office or visit our website, goodshepherdlincoln.org, and click on the green NLCS tab. Welcome back to Issues Etc. We're talking about raising Christian children in an age of secular progressivism, especially as our children have children. 
I'm Todd Wilkin. Pastor Jonathan Fisk is our guest, and he is author of the book, Broken, Seven Christian Rules That Every Christian Ought to Break As Often As Possible. Folks, the Lutheran Witness magazine interprets the contemporary world from a Lutheran perspective. You could take advantage of their great offer. You get six digital or print issues for only $6.99. The latest issue, by the way, deals with the 500th anniversary of the Reformation. Just go to cph.org slash Try Lutheran Witness, cph.org slash try Lutheran Witness. So, Jonathan, based upon what you said before the break, I take it we're never going to have a one-for-one correspondence between the boundaries that mom and dad set and the boundaries that grandma and grandpa set. There's going to be some deviation there and some flexibility. But talk, if you would, about setting unique boundaries for your grandchildren. They're not your kids, but they are your kids' kids. Yeah, so that's kind of what I was I was sort of alluding to before, where the child is there and, uh, well, the parent is not, say, and the child decides that I'm going to act in a certain way. And actually, I'll, I'll give you, use my family here as a little bit of example. I've always thought that my parents were a bit, my, bit lenient with my kids. Grandparents often are. But what my kids did then was they would they would take advantage of that because they figure it out pretty quick. Oh, grandma will give me stuff. And so they start working at it. And eventually, grandma has to decide to set her own boundaries then. Since since she has to have boundaries, and they're not going to be mine because they're different, she has to set her own. And so she, at some point, decides, look, I'll give you this much, but not that. Now, now a specific example, I, I, I don't have one off the top of my head for that, right? But the, the fact is still that if, if grand not if, because grandparents are not parents, they are going to have to establish rules with the child, and it won't be able to give, give, give all the time, at least not if they have any length of time they spend with the child. If they only come in for 15 minutes a year, I suppose they could probably get away with that, right? And so they have to do that. Now, the, the, to me, the, the trick in this, though, then, is for the parent of the child, not the grandparent, to find a way to respect that, to honor the fact that the grandparent wants to give things to the grandchild and sees this as a, a right, as a duty, as as part of what it means to be a grandparent, as part of loving the child. So the parent has to figure out a way to respect and honor that and say, well, that's fine. You know, we don't let you eat bananas, but at grandma's house, you can eat bananas. Or, and both, on the other side, the parent of the child that has the grandchild, right, the grandparent, at some point has to learn to respect the boundaries that have been set for that child kind of on a consistent basis, right? Because there's a habit, there's a pattern there that they can latch on to. And it actually, in some ways, makes makes the grandparent grandparenting, insofar as you ever are babysitting them, a bit easier if you follow the same rules. I mean, anybody knows this with a bedtime routine, right? You just do this with a with a babysitter. The babysitter, if they follow the bedtime routine that's, that's set in place, it's going to work great. If they try to do their own thing, kids go into rebellion mode, right? What? That's not the routine, all this kind of stuff. So the same reality takes place as you then watch your kids have kids. You have to kind of ask in some ways, you know, what are the rules? How do you deal with these children? Because the more you can learn what what's going on, the, the better off or the more free, I would even say, your grandparenting is going to be. At the same time, the, the parent of the child with the grandparent has to then look to their own parent, the grandparent, and at some point say, I'm going to honor my parents' ability to do what they want here and clean up what I find to be the mess, what I think is the mess, uh, going on later. And maybe, you know, maybe it doesn't always mess. Maybe they're fixing something I made a mess of. But again, there's like this triangle at work, right? And it's just not, it's just not so clean. 
Um, the other thing I want to talk about today, if you don't mind, is then how this parent whose child has had a child slowly having to learn to, to let go of some of those authorities and boundaries which they had before, and in some ways having to invert the relationship and respect the child as if they were a parent, because they are a parent, just not of you, it happens, at least if you live long enough, that that, that relationship continues to go the other direction until at some point in, in most people's lives, not everybody's, but in a lot of people's lives, that relationship inverts altogether in the other direction. So now the, the child, whether they've had grandkids or not, there's a point at which it's the child's duty to take care of the parent. But in that, it's the parent's duty to submit to the child. They kind of have to at a certain point, right? And this happens, I mean, you can think of this happens in terms of taking care of finances or in, in terms of taking care of the house for Pete's sake, right? Or or, or in terms of what do you do with a, an aging parent that has lost or is losing their mind with a degenerative disease? Or I mean, that's just an extreme example. But in my experience, humans aren't very good at letting go of power. <laughs> we just don't do it well. And so... That struggle of of letting go of your driver's license, your car, the ability to control your own finances, having your own home, all of these things are tremendous pains to individuals. But they're also, if we can, I think the pain is lessened if we can see that in the child being the one taking on the role of caregiver, this is also the fourth commandment at work. This is how God designed it to be. He has given us the next generation to watch out for us and to care for us. They're, they're the greatest investment we could possibly have. And we're fools to not want to take advantage of that. It's funny. We spend our whole life trying not to work, right? And then when we finally get a chance, I don't have to do anything. Just sit around, have someone else take care of it. Well, we don't want to. It's not that that's all good. I mean, I can understand that. And I can understand how being in a nursing home is, is quite depressing for a variety of reasons, depending on which one you're in particularly. But the point being, there is a beauty in being cared for. There is a intentionally given love from God to humanity in being the weaker party, in being the weaker vessel. And that while God has given parents to children to be the strong vessel for the good of the child, to wield authority for the good of the weaker vessel, there is a flip that in this decaying, fallen world, God continues to manifest that created order of loving the weaker in which the child is put in the position to care for the parent. And the more that both parties, child and parent alike, can embrace that reality, know their sin for what it is, know their decay and death for what it is, but embrace the goodness of authority for the one who is under that authority, the better that can be as well. And that only happens if you see it coming, right? One of my biggest fears uh, for the the current kind of aging baby boomer generation is, you know, the, every baby boomer listening in the car just shouted, I'm not aging, right? That, that's my fear. They don't want to, they don't want to admit that it's happening, but they're kind of, you're missing out on two things. You're missing out on the good of preparing for when it does happen. And you're missing out on sort of the good of, of being in the twilight and letting the sun rise somewhere else and being under the care of the one that you've given your life to raising. Isn't that what you did it for? Isn't that why you made them good people, right? Uh, And so there's that whole side of things too. And and I don't want to have to bring us back to to kind of uh, hit all these again, but this is all under that category of boundaries that we started before and how we have a clear prescription from God about what to do with these boundaries when you have a father over a child. 
But then after, or in a mother over a child, but then after the marriage of that child into another family, creates a new family, it gets a little complex and our sin gets in the way. The goodness is still there uh, if, if, we, if we see it and we search for it. And, and what I want to encourage families to do is, is to do that, to embrace boundaries and authority as good things, as we, we started this a couple weeks ago, as opposed to the current situation where it's like all authority is bad, right? All boundaries are bad. Never say no to your child, all this kind of stuff, which is really a rejection of this, this gift, which is the duty to care for the one God has put under you. Pastor Jonathan Fisk is host of a radio talk show called Sharper Iron, author of the book Broken, Seven Christian Rules That Every Christian Ought to Break, as often as possible. You'll find a link to this book at our website, issuesetc.org. Click Listen on Demand or call Concordia Publishing House and ask for Broken by Pastor Jonathan Fisk, 1-800-325-3040. Jonathan, thank you. Absolutely. When we come back, we're going to talk with Dr. Corey Moss about a document almost 20 years old that's back in the news, the Joint Declaration on the Doctrine of Justification. Children are a heritage from the Lord, but what of those who've not been given the gift of a child? The cross of barrenness affects not only childless couples, it affects the family, friends, and pastors who love and care for them. I'm Katie Shurman, and I'm partnering with Emmanuel Press to publish the second edition of my book, He Remembers the Barren, a story about the hope and contentment found only in Christ, no matter the cross we bear. Visit emmanuelpress.us to learn more. E-M-M-A-N-U-E-L press dot U-S. Your lifeline to the Lutheran worldview... You're listening to Issues Etc. Ever attended an Issues Etc. conference or any number of events that take place across the Synod and wondered why more people from your congregation aren't there? Then check out the special seminar package the CLCC is offering for the 500th anniversary. All you need so your circuit can prepare, promote, and present a seminar that will appeal to all the members of your congregation provided for free by the CLCC. Just go to theclcc.org theclcc.org and click on the blue box or check us out on Facebook. 